0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the LabXD3 podcast, episode 124. Thank you for joining us. For our newer listeners, we do greatly appreciate you checking out this podcast where we talk hitting and coaching and baseball, hitting the hardest thing to do, in my opinion, in all of sports. You can subscribe to the show, Apple, Google, Spotify. We're on TuneIn Radio, iHeart, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts and watch the show on youtube the lab epstein hitting podcast page that is at the lab epstein hitting podcast on youtube for those who enjoy handles speaking of which we are also on twitter and instagram i'm at jim tara and he for those watching across from me or next to me is at epstein hitting now who is at epstein hitting he is professionally evaluator successful business owner former coach friend and co-host jake epstein how are you fella
1: doing good I'm feeling good today
0: yeah me too
1: it's gonna be a good show good topic important topic for players these days two strike hitting so looking forward to getting into it
0: glad you're here couldn't do it without you likewise (laughs) um okay we got a couple of things to talk about before we get to our main topic today episode 124 two strike hitting um First off, I was thinking about this last night. I want to? We'll dip into the topic a little bit first. I don't know how I would have fared coming up in today's game in the year 2022 going into 2023. For those who don't know, when I was a kid, and Epp could attest to this, I had good back-to-ball skills and I'd never really struck out much. But when I was a kid, I was always kind of embarrassed to strike out. I never liked to strike out. But it seems like we fostered an environment where striking out Is not only something that is accepted, but it's accepted as a necessity for the bigger picture, which is hitting for more power and beefing up those analytical statistics and some data points. I'm just thinking last night, I'm kind of thinking out loud now, I don't know how I would have come up in today's game because I used to hate to strike out. I literally when I'd walk back to the dugout after striking out and didn't do it often, I would feel embarrassed. I'd rather ground out 100 times than strike out. I'm not sure sh- so I'm not sure how I'd even fit in as a player in today's game at the high school or collegiate level.
1: Yeah, I think I think it, at the low levels or the amateur levels it's still I don't know frowned upon, but kids don't it's not a natural thing to to not be upset after right. striking out, you know. I mean, I coached my kids at the whatever ten u and twelve u now. Kids that strike out, they still get upset and they cry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I always use. Uh, uh, I remember I, I played with Nick Punto a lot growing up when we were in little league. So that was twelve years old, and then he was on a really good team. He was such a good player, but um, that dude, if if he made an out, like if he cried, he would cry in the dugout. This was when he was like twelve cry the dugout and then boom, he'd run out on the field, play shortstop, make a diving catch or two be totally fine. Come back in, you know, get a couple hits. Then he'd make an out cry. I mean, it was just like an instinctual move. And I I think that's pretty natural with kids where they get upset. Like they don't like to strike out. Um, But I think as you go through the minor leagues and, and again, this is, this is data driven. This is, this is, coming from, you know, people that are crunching numbers and looking at all kind of statistical data. And they're passing it down to maybe the minor league coordinator. And the minor league coordinator is creating a system where, hey, we, we want to do this and not this. You know, if you strike out, if you have two strikes and one out of 10 times you, you hit an extra base hit or one out of 20 times you get an extra base hit instead of, um, you know, a ground ball or something like that. But you strike out three times more with two strikes well that's going to be better for the team or as a whole and so I think it's bred more in a minor league system maybe in the college I really didn't see it at the college system as much where people were were okay with that I guess if you have a lineup that allows for it if you have a lineup with two or three guys that can hit the ball out of the park that's not really a good situation for guys striking out a lot you know we had to put put the ball in play but maybe you have a really deep lineup where seven guys in the lineup have double-digit home runs at the college level. Then maybe you make that adjustment. Um, but I think it's it's player-oriented. I think it's it's really pushed at the you know at the higher levels. You know, once you get into pro ball and you have a big analytics department and, and they find that hey, this is probably going to be beneficial for us, then it gets implemented throughout all levels of of the minor league system. I don't think college. Some of the big college schools do have some analytics students. For the most part you know, yeah student have, helpers
0: right They'll, have, you know, student, they'll have what are they student, called student yeah. uh managers or whatever
1: they, they will they, but like at mizzou we had they were like engineering students you know we had or right. or math majors and and they would come in and, and essentially crunch numbers and do heat maps and and all that stuff and whether it was useful or not i'm not real sure but they're trying, you know, those right. are people that want to have a future in the, in the professional baseball. So it's a really cool thing for them to do at the college level. It doesn't cost the colleges, the athletic department or the, or the baseball and softball budget, any money. It's good experience for the kids. Um, it's like an internship. That are, that are By studying. the way,
0: you mentioned um Nick Punto mm-hmm. when he first came up with the Phillies. I don't know if you knew this, but when he first came up, he was kind of like a bench player, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what fifth. Was he an outfielder? Fifth infielder, I think. I think he's actually an infielder. Well, he had such a good presence in the clubhouse, and he was such a good teammate that he loved to celebrate his other his teammates when they would hit a home run or they would get a big hit. And he used to almost like beat up his teammates after they would get like a big hit, like he'd push them and he'd like punch them in the chest. And I think one time he said, uh, going down the dugout, Who's ready to get a beating tonight? Meaning, you know, who's ready to hit, get that walk off hit? Yeah. So I don't know if that he was like that as a kid. It sounds like he's, he was an emotional guy though. He would oh, he life.
1: was he I was intense. Like, and yeah, he would cry
0: when you would get out.
1: Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, kids, when he would...
0: if you cry and if you cry as a kid and the kids listening, if you cry after you make out, you can still make it to the major. Heck
1: list. yeah, it just means you're passionate. You know, You'd yeah. be upset, it's okay. Although no, I'll he... tell
0: you though, Ab, you know my father, he didn't like when I would cry. If I ever tried, if I ever even showed a tear, or I was about to, he would look at me and give me this stern look like, don't you dare, or else I'm going to slap the shit out of you, and which I actually don't mind at all. I don't mind at all. I I like how I was brought up in that way to be tougher and to be able to accept a loss and to move on and to learn from it.
1: Yeah. No, it it is. It's just a knee-jerk reaction for some kids. It's actually you don't want to say it's funny, but it's, it's
0: just, <laughs> no, it's funny. I'll say it.
1: It's, it's just like, it's boom. It. What, what are you, what are you so sad for?
0: At Jim you know? Taras saying it right now. It is yeah. funny when kids cry after they make it, it out. It's a little Especially ridiculous. Especially when you, you make, make
1: it as You're a great yeah. role model, Jim.
0: I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is Jim talking. Okay. My kids will not cry after they make it out. And if they do, I'm going to, I'm not going to take my father's approach. I'll probably laugh at them. Like, what are you crying about? <laughs> yeah. You I don't, be, I don't, you, you I don't be, have you know, a, I don't have a crier. You could be one of those people that that just lost a boatload of money in that FTX scandal and you're crying about making it out at 11 years old. Grow up, Johnny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be okay.
0: You're going to be okay. Next week, Cody Bellinger, episode 125, a special mechanical breakdown series. And we're going to be doing this in the year 2023, probably next offseason as well. It's going to be like the gold edition, but it's going to be fixing edition. Next week, we're going to be fixing Cody Bellinger as he is a free agent. He was non-tendered by the Dodgers, probably seeking a one- to two-year deal. I would think a one-year deal would make the most sense. But how about this with Cody Bellinger? Speaking of striking out, two-strike hitting. In the last two years, he has struck out 244 times. Epp out of 819 at bats. It's, uh, it's a lot. 200 wow. again. 244 strikeouts in 819 at bats. Right. But he is certain to get a one-year deal somewhere. Now, it's not irrefutable though that a guy like Michael Conforto, who is still a free agent, didn't play at all in 2022, coming off a shoulder injury, a subpar 2021. He might be a free agent going into 2023, and even when the season gets going. I got to ask you, though, we got to talk a little bit about Michael Conforto because there's something that's bothering me about him not being signed somewhere and not actually being on the field. I haven't heard that he's a bad teammate. He's a great athlete. He's a productive hitter, and I'll have some numbers to back that up. So, okay, Michael Conforto, his career average, this is according to MLB.com, his career average per 162 games, 28 home runs, 85 RBIs, 86 runs, 356 on base percentage, and a 468 slugging. Furthermore, from 2019 to 2021, his OPS plus was 123. That was ahead of Jeff McNeil, who, by the way, we're breaking his swing down coming up in the future, one of our mechanical breakdown series. And his hard hit rate, speaking of Cody Bellinger, 38.8%, 95 miles per hour plus. That was harder than Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger, it's almost guaranteed he's going to have a job come 2023. Mm -hmm. It's not guaranteed that Michael Conforto, who at one point was offered a 100 plus, a 100 million plus million dollar contract, is not going to have a job in 2023. Something's bugging me about it. I can't figure out why. I think he's a productive player. A one-year deal certainly should be on the table. What do you see with him and his swing? What's going on with Michael Conforto?
1: Well, I don't think it's him. I think, I mean, unless he's the injury was worse than people thought. Also, for further
0: context purposes, he also has a hamstring problem, but
1: okay. So my concern, well, let's, let's start with what I like his swing. I like him as a player. I like him as a hitter. I like his moves. I like his mechanics. I like his swing plane. I really think he's, you know, he's going to be a two hundred and sixty hitter. I think he's going to hit 20 plus home runs. He's going to you know, depending on the lineup, he's going to, you know, drive in, drive in 90. I, I think he's a quality player. I think he's a, uh, you know, he's, he's not a below average outfielder. He's a quality outfielder. I don't think he's, you know, Nimo quality outfielder. I don't think he's Bellinger quality outfielder, but swing wise, he's, he's great. I think one of the problems that faces him is his agent. I think people, you know, hmm. Boris is his agent. And that was an issue last year when he was I don't think he was supposed to have shoulder surgery last year if i'm not mistaken he held out for a really long time and maybe the injury was known but he wasn't signed for a long time because he wanted a huge number and his agent you know wanted a massive massive deal and i think the owners kind of pushed back on that and then all of a sudden he had surgery so I don't know if that's why he didn't get a deal because he didn't pass physicals or if he had this you know nagging thing. And it's like, okay, well, we're just going to sit out a year and, and get our shoulder replaced. So I'm not really sure the the ins and outs of, of that part of it. But I do know owners and front office people were afraid of what they were getting and what Boris wanted for him. Um, furthermore, the only concern I have, because I do like him as a hitter, is it's right shoulder surgery um which is his lead arm which is his lead shoulder and sometimes when you have right handed because he's a right-handed thrower i'm pretty certain.
0: right hand thrower left-handed batter
1: yeah when you when you have those guys a lot of times that lead arm they'll start to baby it that shoulder if it's an elbow it's usually not an issue but if it's a shoulder they'll start to shrug it as their first move to get it out of the way instead of you know pulling that lead arm forward so That would be, you know, nobody knows what that's going to be like. Nobody knows how it healed. Nobody knows, you know, what his swing will look like in a game. He took a year off, right? He went a year. He has played a lot. He's 30 years old. It's not like he's only played two years in the big leagues. So I'm not overly concerned with that. Maybe it takes him an extra 20 or 30 at-bats to get back into, you know, where he should be. You know, he sat out for an entire year. That's That's a lot of time not facing live pitching. So, that would be concern number two. But, you know, the main one for me would be how does he respond after a shoulder surgery where it's his lead arm. If it was his back arm, not a problem. You know, if it was a lefty-lefty kind of thing and it was a shoulder. Now, if he was a lefty-lefty and it was an elbow, sometimes that could lead to some weird stuff. But um, as a player, I, I just I really like him. I, I couldn't believe he didn't sign anything last year. Like, that was that blew me away and then when they said okay he had surgery on his shoulder he's going to sit out the year maybe that was a red flag during physicals you know for a free agent that would be my hope and it wasn't that you know his agent was trying to you know set a record for the largest you know salary ever
0: (laughs) i'm I'm surprised that he hasn't had more showcases i mean you hear about yeah players who are trying to make a comeback player from injury or just trying to resurrect their career. They have Mm -hmm. a lot of showcases, and they plastered themselves on teams' radars. And we just haven't really seen that with Michael Conforto.
1: Yeah, I don't don't know what – I mean, he's rusty. Like, I wouldn't want to go up against somebody throwing really hard unless it was just, like, an easy workout. But it's not like a pitcher throwing a bullpen. Right. Yeah, those guys come back, and they throw, oh, I'm throwing 96 again. Okay, he's good. He's throwing yeah. strikes, he's throwing 96. You know, as a hitter, it's a, it's a little bit different. But I hope that the shoulder, the surgery was a success. He had everything repaired that he needed because he is a really good player, and he's fun to watch, and he he seems like a pro. Yeah. You know, he's he just gets out there and does his job. And I could be wrong. I, I've never, you know, obviously I don't have any firsthand knowledge of being in the dugout with him, but he just seems like a pro and a guy that you would want to run out in the – run out in in the outfield every single game.
0: All right. Well, be sure to email us, JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. If you have any questions for the show, we will try to answer them and reach out to us as well on social media at Jim Tara and at Epstein Hitting. Okay. Today's topic, episode 124, Two-Strike Hitting. By the way, I was reading your, one of your dad's books this morning when I was preparing for the show. And he talked about there's a chapter about Two-Strike Hitting in the book. And he was discussing some really tough pitchers back in the day, late 90s, mid to late 90s, early 2000s. He mentioned Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, and he talked about sitting dead red with those guys. But there was one pitcher that he mentioned that I laughed out loud about. That was Kevin Brown. Hmm. Kevin fucking Brown.
1: Dude, he was so nasty.
0: I remember when he was slated to start Game 7 for the Yankees in 2004 against the Red Sox. Everybody, to a man, and this was published in multiple outlets and books, everybody knew with him on the mound the season was over. Kevin Brown, Pedro, yeah, Greg Maddox, Randy Johnson, Kevin Br- No offense, Kevin Brown. Anyway, two-strike hitting, all about knowing thyself, correct?
1: It is, yeah, and how comfortable you are. You know, guys that hit well with two strikes or girls that hit well with two strikes, it's they're comfortable it doesn't i don't know it doesn't bother them they don't step out of the box and think oh my god i have two strikes you know they get in the box and say you know now it's a challenge um, there's a player i coach that probably gets as many hits with two strikes as or more hits with two strikes than than with less than two strikes because they concentrate more they're really into it and you could see it they get in the box and they'll dig in a little bit more so some players like that they get they get upset, you know. Maybe there's a bad call at the, the young age. You know those umpires are, uh, you know, they're the strike zones are big because they're trying to get the games going. But you know the kids get a little fiery, like oh, that's how it's going to be, huh? And then they get more focused. And I think big leaguers are the same way too. I think some guys slow the heart rate down and they don't try to they don't try to do too much. So there's there's different things you can do with two strikes, depending on you, you know your mindset. If you're a player that's typically early, um, like I'd never had a problem with ninety five. But I had a real problem with 81. You know, I was just, I was early. I could dial up for Christmas at any time. But man, when I had to wait, it was it was a lot harder. And so I would sit soft with two strikes because I was big and I got a lot of breaking. But I bet, you know, two-thirds of the pitches I got with two strikes were some kind of off-speed pitch. So I would sit on that. And then if it was a fastball I, and it wasn't, you know, above 92, I was still able to put it in play, right? Or still able to foul it off, but I wasn't going to get fooled as much on that breaking pitch. So there's there's that motto and and some people are I got to look for the fastball and just adjust to everything else. But essentially what you're doing is you're you're opening up the entire plate. The 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 best way not to not to strike out is to don't get to two strikes. Yeah. And that's the best way to you know if you're facing an ace, if you're facing a Randy Johnson or you're facing Pedro, you know, like you were talking about. You just Kevin
0: Brown. I mean, don't Kevin, don't forget yeah. Kevin Brown, man. I mean, Dude, you're, Kevin you're... Brown.
1: I mean, you saw him after an injury in New York when he was with San Diego. His sinker must have moved three feet. Like yeah. there was no way to hit that thing coming down and an into a right-hander. It was yeah. just vicious. Anyway, but you have somebody like oh, that. You David don't Ritchie's get two strikes. That. That's that's the best way, but you are going to get to two strikes, right? We're mm-hmm. we're going to hit with two strikes, whether it's bad calls, whether we, you know, our swing plane's not good, right? We fell off a lot of pitches now. We got two strikes. You know, a lot of people say, great job battling with two strikes. You fell off like four pitches with two strikes. Well, yeah, but three of them were really good to hit, you know? So swing plane does does play a part of it. But my dad used to say that when you're looking for a pitch, when you're anticipating a pitch, and we don't like to use the word guessing because that means you don't have a plan. Okay, we're looking for a pitch. We're looking for a fastball. Say my dead red zone as a hitter. If if I could put a ball on a tee and say throw it right here every time, it would be like one ball in from the middle, like ball three, and it would be thigh high. Okay, that was my pitch. Maybe thigh to waist high. So if I had that target right, and that target was this big. I can move that target around to different parts of the strike zone. So now all of a sudden, I know that's my pitch, but this guy's throwing me outside. I'm going to move that target. I'm going to move my dead red window to middle away. And now all of a sudden I can cover that pitch easily because I'm just looking that way. I'm anticipating that way. I'm uh, My body knows what to do on that pitch. Even though it's not my strength, I can mm-hmm. still cover that pitch easily. Now if they bust a ball in, I'm not going to be in position to hit it. Okay? Um, But with two strikes, we have to open everything up. So instead of that dead red window being this big, you know, now it's got to be this big. Right. And I'm not going to be able to cover that quite as much. So the key is you can open it up and just look for everything. And typically when players do, there's so many different philosophies here. When A lot of times when that happens, then you get players that swing and miss the balls in the dirt all the time. Like I'm opening up my window and then there's major league organizations that actually want you to shrink. They want you to shrink the zone so that you don't chase. And this is why you're seeing so many strike three calls. Now we're seeing a lot of pitches that, you know, we're not swinging and missing necessarily on a fastball or a slider in the dirt or a splitter in the dirt or a curve in the dirt. We're, we're taking pitches for strikes because we're trying to not chase. So, I don't know what's right or wrong for different players. I think every player is different. But I do think that you take the percentages with two strikes as in, I'm going to look middle away here. You know, what is this? How does this guy usually try to get me out? He usually tries to get me out middle away. I'm going to let the ball travel. I'm going to slow. So what I teach my players, I guess that's probably what you're asking, not what everyone else does. But what I teach my players is to slow the rhythm down a little bit. Okay, I'm gonna slow the rhythm down a little bit so that I can cover pitches of both speeds. Ted Williams said, if the guy throws 95 mile an hour fastball and a 75 mile an hour curveball, I'm gonna look for the 85 mile an hour slider. Okay, that way I'm a little bit late on the fastball and a little bit earlier, so I'm in the middle of the two extremes. Well, in order to do that, you want to kind of slow your body down and slow your rhythm down so that that ball travels. So we're so we're not out in front a lot. So that is. For 90% of players from college down, that's what we're doing. Now, professional baseball is a little bit different, especially at the big league level, where with two strikes you see a lot of belly button the letter high fastballs. Okay. This is where you need to do your your homework and you need to know what this guy likes to put, you know, how he likes to put players away, especially me. So you always have to have a plan, regardless if you're 0-0 count or you're in an O2 count. You have to have a plan. You have to know what you want to do. You can't go into that at bat blind. So, um, you know, my advice, again, for amateur players is very different than, you know, maybe a pro player who's facing somebody with serious VLO.
0: right. You made some great points there. Two points that I want to hit on. Number one, the two pitches per game uh, point that I'm going to parlay off some of the stuff you just talked about, but also shrinking the zone with runners and scoring position first off. You get two pitches per game at the major league level, two cookies to hit. If you miss them, there's a good chance you're not going to get a third, and that's where that separates the good hitters from the great hitters. Great hitters can take a pitch like a Joe Maurer in the 2010 All-Star game pitch on the black of the plate, fastball, 99, go the other way with it down the left field line. Not a hittable pitch, did it anyway. That's what separates the good hitters from the great hitters. Oftentimes we hear announcers say, well, that was a great at bat, eight pitch plate appearance, nine pitches, 10 pitches. He saw a lot of pitches and made the pitcher work. True, but I think when it comes to two-strike hitting and you factor in that you get two pitches per game, that you can actually hit hard, and you should really do damage with. If you continually get more and more pitches in that plate appearance, and you miss those cookies, well, how good of a plate appearance was it really at that point?
1: Yeah, it's a result. It's your, you know, how did how did it turn out? So now extending the at bat is great because maybe your the first pitch was a slider on the black, strike one. The second pitch was a high fastball, you know, or not too high, but you fouled it back. Now you're O 0-2 and you really didn't have any hittable pitches. Now all of a sudden you bat a little bit one, two, then it goes to two, two. Then you start fouling off pitches, right? Tough pitches low and away, tough pitches. Then it's still two and two. And then all of a sudden you get a cookie with the count two and two because you you're seeing like pitch six or seven from the guy instead of striking out on pitch three. And now all of a sudden, boom, you jump on that mistake he made, the sixth or seventh pitch of the at bat. That's a great at bat. But if you there was a bat, everybody posted years ago, and and you know I like Bichette a lot, right? But it was one at bat, and he fouled off like ten or twelve pitches. But I bet five of them were like ball two, three, and four of the plate. They were really good pitches, and he was just under them, you know, and just fouled them back and fouled them back. Where you know, ideally, the first one of those hangers or the second hanger, he would have you know hit hard somewhere in play. So just recapping that, it's great to get. It's great to battle during at bats because you're battling off tough pitches, but it's not good if you're battling good pitches. <laughs> if you're right. battling off good pitches to hit, that's not battling that's missing.
0: Right, right, right. And, and oftentimes it is a product of mechanical fallacies, right? What kind of yeah. mechanics, speaking of which, what kind of mechanical changes do you make, if any at all? when it comes to hitting with two strikes
1: yeah probably probably nothing mechanically you know you hope that your hard work and and what your swing plane is especially by the time you get to the big leagues but if you have a good swing plane i'm not really concerned like our best two strike hitter again going back to the amateur level our best two strike hitter has a very flat swing you know she doesn't change her swing with two Mm -hmm. strikes she doesn't do anything different you know maybe her stride won't be as big but She's not going to strike out because her swing's on plane for so long. If she's early or she's late. So if you have somebody that's not like um actually Bellinger's swing plane is not nearly as extreme as it was a couple years ago. Okay. So that would be one positive I would look at when we're we're looking at him next week. But um, you know, if you have somebody with a, a swing plane that gets on plane deep in the zones, for instance, Judge, Judge is a guy that can get on plane really deep. He kind of drops the barrel behind him and swings up a lot so if he's early he's going to be over everything that doesn't make sense for him so he's got to think let it get deep let it get deep let it get deep and then he has a chance based on his mechanics so again i wouldn't change my swing plane i would just hope that i had a good swing plane and i'm gonna put i'm gonna use that swing plane to my advantage when i get a good pitch to hit okay yeah so and- my players we do a drill every time we get loose mm-hmm. uh, especially my high school players you know the older ones that i'm working with or college players the first 15 swings, we I set the ball on the outside corner, I set it up at the hip, and I make them let that ball travel all the way to the middle of their body, if we're looking to the, so past their front foot, and they have to shoot it down the right field line, okay, or in the dugout, okay? Mm-hmm. And so what this is teaching them is barrel control. If they have a barrel drop, if their back elbow drops too much, if their back shoulder drops too much, they would swing under that pitch every time. Okay. There's, there's no way they can hit that pitch or if they drop it a little bit, they're going to pop it up foul. Okay. They're going to foul it straight back, not straight back, but up into the opposite side, or they're going to pop up to the first baseman or third baseman, you know, depending off their they're right-handed or left-handed. So it teaches them barrel control. If they can shoot a 10 degree line drive or an eight degree line drive between first and second, it means that they have control. So what does that do? That builds confidence. Now with two strikes, they can take that swing or they have that swing. You know, then we progress from there, and then I move the ball further in right, and then lower it a little bit so it's more hittable so that they can cover that pitch when they're really late and they can cover the pitch when they're early. Now with two strikes, they can sit there and be like, okay, this guy's throwing 80% off speed at the high school level with two strikes. I'm going to sit off speed. But in the back of their mind, they know that if that guy throws a fastball, they can still shoot that thing down the down the opposite field line because of their mechanics and their barrel control. So, it's all how we prep. If you have somebody that drops their barrel early, then, you know, there's really no way for them to get to that pitch and then they have to cheat out in front a little bit more and then you could possibly get fooled more often.
0: All right. Um talking about shrinking the zone with runners in scoring position. Oftentimes, my dad, being a New Yorker, a New York Yankees fan at that, he will watch a Yankee game and be amazed at how players take pitches that are borderline for strike three. You know, he'll do his New York act and, come on, all that stuff, right? (laughs) And I try to tell him, not sure if he's listening or not. Maybe he does when I say it to him. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. If my sister said it, I'm sure that he would – listen a lot more
1: wow now we're getting really into the family dynamic
0: i i have no problem with it it's okay <laughs> i i understand you know when you're relegated to backup quarterback
1: yeah i get you're comfortable it comfortable
0: with that job you're still getting That's paid right. a lot of money and you're still getting all those benefits that come along with being an nfl quarterback okay <laughs> notwithstanding though we've been doing the show for two years and i have to peel back some layers right i try to tell him and i i i Relay to him that the reason that players are taking with runners at second and third bases loaded, the reason that they're taking strike three, a borderline pitch, is because it's three and two. And that's really the only time that you can shrink the zone with runners in scoring position or the bases loaded when the count is three balls, two strikes, because that pitch, that borderline pitch, depending on which way the umpire is leaning, it may go in your favor and it may be a ball. Now, if you swing at that pitch, and it's a wild swing, and you're off balance, and it's strike three, you're going back watching film, and you're kicking yourself because, number one, it could have been a ball, and, number two, you didn't put a good proper swing on it. So talking about shrinking the zone, that's really at the major league level and the professional level at that when it's really appropriate to shrink the zone when there's runners in scoring position, and the count is three balls and two strikes.
1: And there's two outs. So, you know, if there's nobody out, put the damn ball in the (laughs) Um, If there's a runner on third base and there's less than two outs, put the, put the damn ball in play. Um, That would be my motto. Runs, 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 win games. I don't care how ugly it is. I don't care if it's a push bunt. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how many push bunts I see at the college level to get that fourth run across during the game with a with one out, you know, and a runner on third base <laughs> and somebody that is prone to striking out. So, yes, with two strikes and a runner on second base um and and even one out, you are you were trying to drive that player in and if it's a borderline pitch, you know, maybe we don't. But you know what? The dang Astros they hit some pretty damn tough pitches during the the World Series. Pitches that and balls that weren't hit hard that they asked out and and hit a they had a big hole between first and second and I remember Maldonado doing it right and just that was a back-breaking run on a pitch that was you know two inches off the plate and he put it in play with two strikes and they scored a run and then there was a Bregman hit that had like a broken bat on a hit and run you know to right field that was ugly it was an up and in pitch but he moved a runner from first to third so I th- I think you have to know your players. Obviously that was the Yankees mindset, right? I mean it was it was a quote, "Hey, we're not changing our strategy now." Even though they were they were failing and the players weren't performing in the playoffs, they weren't going to tra- change their strategy that was productive during the season or you know, it w- it met their level of productivity. So yeah you're you're right i mean you don't want to it's a fine line and i think every player is different every player is comfortable with two strikes or not comfortable with two strikes and i think every organization has a different philosophy on what they want to do with two strikes but i will say that there there are a lot more call we should probably look up this number a lot more strike threes looking this past year than i remember in in other years and that is the philosophy of you know, we're not going to chase. We're going to try to still do damage with two strikes, you know, whether it's a running and runner in scoring position or not a runner in scoring position. I'm
0: writing that down, by the way. Yeah,
1: it, it would it would be interesting week. to see because that's mindset. Again, pitchers, look, I look at, I don't know, I was watching something. It may have been because Gaylord Perry passed the other day and I was, I was, what a big, strong dude he was. I really never saw actual footage of him. So I watched like a little tribute to him yesterday on MLB.com or, or whatever media source it was. And I mean, here's a big, strong guy that was throwing kind of hard, like pretty hard, but it wasn't nearly what the heck is going on today. I mean, guys really throw hard. The ball moves a ton. You can't, if you can't look for everything, you just, it's too hard. And I hear, you know, Jeff Fry on, on social media and he's everywhere on Twitter now. And he's like, you know, you can't guess, with two strikes, that's why people are, you know, swinging and missing so often or this, but it's like, buddy, you you can't, the stuff that guys are throwing today, you just can't sit there with less than two strikes and look for everything and hope to react to a breaking pitch. It's just too, it's, it's just too difficult. I think with the stuff that guys have today, you do have to pinpoint your mental approach. And I think that's why we get, um, <laughs> stewed was a term. Dave Serrano, if you're listening to this, coach Serrano, he, told me about the stewie which i'll tell you off air but essentially he was our pitching coach and whenever he would strike three somebody he would call an inside fastball with two strikes and the guy would jump away from it you know like ooh it was called a stewie (laughs) and and i'll tell Um, you why but so uh i i think that that's just kind of the way it is you know i I think we have to be pitchers are really good and they and they throw and if we're looking middle away and all of a sudden they throw something up and in we're toast
0: uh, you're right. Um, jeff Fry's gonna be mad at you, by the way. Look out, here comes the, the what does he call the?
1: Yeah, no, and whatever. I love, I love it actually w- what he talks about and what he preaches. But I, I do think that anticipation, I mean, he calls it guessing, and I don't think guessing right is there's differences we've talked about. Yeah, guessing is bad, but anticipation, you know, having a plan and, and trying to. Trying to you know look middle away or or whatever it is, I th- I think that's beneficial. I think most big leaguers with two strikes could probably put a ball in play. Yeah, they have bat to ball skills, right? They can take a little off if you will. I got to hit a fairway here. It's, uh, I got a two stroke lead or a one stroke lead, and I'm heading into the last hole. All I got to do is hit a fairway. I can you know choke down a three wood or something and and bunt it down there. You know, 250 yards. Like th- baseball players can do that. Major leaguers can do that. They can shorten up they can hit anything but they're not going to hit it hard. And I think that's the difference of mindset is look, if we want to cut down on strikeouts, guys can cut down on strikeouts. I have, yeah. I have no doubt in my mind that they could do that. But what it does is it will take away from, you know, maybe their RBI totals or their extra base totals and ultimately that leads to runs. And so that change isn't going to happen.
0: So, I was listening with one ear and mm-hmm. doing some research with my eyes.
1: I okay. my other ear. With your other
0: ear? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um Gaylord Perry, you're right. He indeed just passed away mm-hmm. uh December 1st. So we record this on a Saturday. He passed away Thursday, actually. Yeah. Um, in at, at the age of 84 in Gaffney, South Carolina. Here's something interesting about Gaylord Perry. He was notorious. This isn't the interesting part. He was notorious for doctoring baseballs. But was he? he? Right. He won 314 games in his career. Five-time All-Star. Blah blah blah. blah. Okay. Here's what the interesting. Do you know where he played college baseball?
1: Oh, no idea. I wouldn't have thought he did.
0: Or where would you think? Yeah, you right. You wouldn't think that. He's a Southern
1: guy, so I would have thought that he would have attended, uh, you know, Clemson or something like that. Okay, Citadel maybe.
0: You would think back then, of course, he was, all right, let's see here. Uh, I don't know when he was signed. He made his debut in 1962, so he was signed probably a couple of years before that. You would think you wouldn't get signed out of college. It wouldn't be as prevalent as it is now. There was no draft back then, as far as I Mm -hmm. know. Well, anyway, he attended, along with his brother, where they both played college baseball, Campbell University. So Campbell University's baseball program, if they ever need something to hang the old proverbial hat on,
1: yeah,
0: it's that Gaylord Perry went to yeah. Campbell University.
1: Yeah, but so I, I was I was watching that, and, and he was known as you know the spitball master and whatnot. And we know now today that pitchers don't want that; they want just the opposite. They want more grip, right? They want right. more spin. They don't want it to slide out of their hands. They want more control. But it was, I forget who he said. Oh, it was Drysdale. Hmm. He's he was he heard something that Drysdale, and he wasn't having a very good career up until this point, right? He was very mediocre. And Drysdale said something like, I wanted the hitter to think about something, right? Like I wanted to get in the hitter's head. And so Perry that night started just touching his ear and touching his hat a couple of times. And all of a sudden, he did that the rest of the season, and hitters started to think, oh, he must be loading the ball up. And it was just adding that one thought. Like, he wasn't loading the ball up. Maybe he did later in his career. But he he wasn't loading the ball up when he first started touching his hat and touching his ear and touching his neck. But he wanted the hitters to think that. Because now, all of a sudden, the hitters go back to that. Gosh darn it, he's loading it up. He's doing this <laughs> and that. The ball's probably moving more. And now, all of a sudden, he started to have success. So it was a really wild interview I heard from him um, about that. And it was just entering fear or another thought into a hitter. And we talk about clearing our mind and clearing the mechanism as a hitter. Man, how important is that? If you're, if we're out there and we got the pitcher, remember Ryan Dempster, you know, flipping his, flipping his glove around, you know, trying to like, make sure you didn't steal the grip. There's such a gamesmanship in, in, you know, the game between the pitcher and the hitter. That yeah. goes beyond just what the pitch is and what the swing is, but it's it's mentally you know changing the mindset. I mean, look at hit look at pitchers now with different windups. You know, guys that come out of the bullpen, but there's nobody on base, right? And they're throwing from the stretch, and they have a pause, right? Because yeah. they have a natural pause with guys on base. But now they're they're essentially throwing from the stretch, but they go straight from you know the ball behind them into their windup. Because they can, because there's nobody on base. I mean, that messes a hitter up. But it doesn't just mess them up in the moment. Now, all of a sudden, the hitter's on deck is like, oh, crap, I got to keep an eye out on that. You know, or Nestor, once in a while, he's going to do this weird, crazy hesitation move. And I'm telling you, that stuff that gets in the head will play more tricks than a ball that's moving more than it's not.
0: All right, final point. I want you to go through each one as it pertains to hitting with two strikes. How do high school hitters, how do college hitters and professional hitters approach? What kind of advice and plan would you give them when it comes to two-strike hitting?
1: I don't like that question.
0: You usually like my question. Okay. I'm a little surprised by it. All right. What don't you like about it? Was it too loaded? It was Was just your delivery, Jim. Was it too informational? Well, I can't help that. That's how God made me. I'm looking right at your face. That's how God made me. I can't help that. (laughs) You know, you should host the podcast with the number one quarterback, QB1, my sister. (laughs)
1: That would be. <laughs> that's right we're gonna go. run next week yeah. uh okay so amateur hitters uh with with two strikes you know if, if you're 10 years old if you're you're 10 to 13 years old man don't strike out have fun you got a bat in your hand the pitchers for the most part aren't going to be totally overpowering you maybe if you're playing travel ball there's going to be one pitcher maybe two in that entire tournament that's that's going to just own everybody okay and don't worry about him but or her. So get out there and and swing the bat and have fun. You have two strikes. I would take away the outside, outside pitch. Okay. In fact, we can bump this up to the high school uh, age as well. If you have two strikes, take away that outside corner pitch. Okay. Let the ball travel a little bit, take away ball six or ball seven. You know, the umpire is going to call it a strike when it's on the river between the corner and the, the batter's box line on the outside corner. Take that pitch away from them. Look out there. Why? Well, on the outside fastball, you got to let it travel, right? Well, what do you have to do on a breaking ball? You got to wait and let it travel too. So, if you're letting an outside pitch travel with two strikes and they throw you a hanger, your barrel should run right into it if you have decent swing mechanics. Okay. So, that is my advice for anyone, you know, below the college level. Now, where are you going to get beat? You're going to get beat with an inside fastball. So, look back at your life. If you're 17 or younger, how many times over the past year have you, got you know have you punched out on an inside corner fastball with two strikes okay think about that how many times have you have you been punched out is it a lot is it once a game and no, I should say once a game is it once a weekend is it once a year is it what right versus how many times are you chasing sliders in the dirt because maybe we're not looking middle away with two strikes so the great part about looking middle away is you got time you can let it get deep you're not trying to not trying to hit a ball over the fence, right? You're trying to let it get deep and shoot a a line drive to the opposite field. Don't get too fancy with two strikes, okay? If you're a professional, now it's different. You know, we've faced that pitcher multiple times this year. We probably have some scouting reports on this pitcher. What does he typically like to do? And more importantly, what has he done against me? You know, go back and look at your at-bats against him. Don't look at, you know, Johnny's at-bats against him. How has he pitched against you? Okay, well, he tries to attack me slow early in the count and fast late in the count. Okay, take that with you. Now, what do good major league pitchers do? Well, they switch that up. You know, a lot of, a lot of times you see Verlander uh, will throw breaking balls early in the count to get ahead, and then fast balls he'll, he'll change. And then the second time through the lineup, he might do something totally different. Okay, so right. we have to be on the lookout for that. But for the most part, if you're in the minor leagues, we probably don't, you know, our scouting reports aren't intense. We just have to, you know, know with two strikes, you know, maybe we're trying to take away that pitch middle away. If the guy's not throwing ninety five, if he's throwing ninety, let's take away the pitch middle away. If he's throwing ninety five, yeah. okay, we may have to be a little bit more aggressive early in the count so we don't get to two strikes. So it, to each their own at the different levels. But I will say the majority of players under under the college level, you know, if you're playing in the SEC and guys are really bringing it, or the Pac-12 or the ACC and guys are consistently thrown in the mid-90s, then, you know, it's going to be a little bit tougher. But I would rather get beat with two strikes. Again, this is a broad spectrum because I'm not talking to an exact hitter. But I would rather get beat with two strikes on a fastball Mm -hmm. for a strike that I'm late on. Than a breaking ball that I'm out in front on. I think those percentages will play. Because I think if it's a fastball for a strike and I have a decent swing, I can probably still foul that off. Even though I'm going to be late, I can foul it back or back, you know, towards the opposite side. But I would rather not be out in front on a breaking ball. Because if if I'm out in front on a slider at, at say, 85, and then he throws an an 82-mile-an-hour curveball, that pitcher can keep taking stuff off his breaking ball. What he can't do, if I'm just a little bit late on his 90-mile-an-hour fastball in college, he can't hump up to 94 and blow by me. He, he can't do that. That That's his top speed. So if I can be late on his fastest pitch, then I can time up his slowest pitch. But if he keeps throwing slower and slow, if I'm out in front on a breaking ball, he can take some more off that breaking ball, and then I'm going to miss the next one. So know <laughs> the kind of hitter you are. Yeah. Have a good swing plane, have good mechanics. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there, right? If you're at the professional level. But that's why it's important at the young age to really get that swing plane dialed in. And then you can use your brain and you can use your feel to create a plan to be successful with two strikes.
0: Well, great job this week. Up great information. Next week, we actually will dive into a little more. We didn't really, we're running out of time, but we will dive into a little bit more about two strike hitting as it pertains to second, third time through the order, fourth time through the order when you're facing different pitchers. We'll touch on that a little bit next week. Plus, um, we're going to look up that number, how many times players struck out looking last year, and maybe discuss that a little bit. But our main topic next week will be fixing Cody Bellinger, Mechanical Breakdown Series, Episode 125. That's coming up next week. What do you got coming up at the lab?
1: Uh, We have our college hitting program going on uh, in about a month, a little less than a month. All the college players are coming out, so we'll be working them, getting them prepped for the season. And we just finished our assessments for all our in-town amateur players. So that was fun. So they're going through all their reports. I would suggest all of you guys that got your KVEST reports, make sure you make an appointment with with Matt or Kenny um, to go over those. People don't know who Matt or Kenny is. Um, we have listeners from france matt and so germany
0: australia canada yeah
1: yeah all right so matt Yingle's are like lead instructor down at the lab so he's been there since we opened uh ex-pro played played in the marlins organization for many years played at texas AM, and then kenny jackson who played at texas AM as well and was a college coach in, in in uh the junior college ranks in texas so those are the guys that run our hitting classes down there so make sure you get with them in order to go over your results so you can create a plan to fix whatever deficiencies that they saw.
0: And, of course, you can log on to
1: the All right. for more information. And if you want to be better this winter, this is the time for the Epstein Online Academy. I can't push it enough. This is the time. Don't wait till February. Okay, let's get those mechanics. Let's get the winter training. You can do it in your basement. You can do it in your garage. Or if you're lucky enough in California, you can Florida. Texas, you can do it outside, but get the swing plane locked in, and I'm here to help you do that.
0: What is it? What's the online academy website?
1: EpsteinHitting.com. That one's easy. And with
0: that, that is very easy. And with that, we will talk to you all next.